This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. When someone goes missing and stays missing, the lives of those left behind are split into two. On one hand, there's the perpetual longing for resolution, the hope that this letter, this phone call, this knock on the door will be the turning point that reunites them with their loved one. On the other, there's the reality of having to carry on with day-to-day life, trying to move forward with work, relationships and everything in between as the weeks give way to months, and the months to years. Navigating the space between the two is a cross the loved ones of all missing people have to bear, and one that the family of Anthony Stammers, who was last seen in his home in Colchester in 2012, have been grappling with for a decade. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds, and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Anthony Stammers. Anthony's parents, Robert and Julie, met in 1975 at a party hosted by a mutual friend. We went out from there got married about three years later and couldn't afford houses where we actually grew up, Romford and Brentwood, so we moved out to Colchester, which seemed a very nice place to live at the time. And that's where we started our family. Yeah, Colchester's a smallish town north of Essex, on the Essex-Suffolk border. 
Uh, we moved here in 77. Population then was about 70,000. I think it's almost doubled since then with new housing estates. It's got good links to London, which is where I was working at the time. So we settled here and um, made friends and brought our three children up here. Kathy, their first child, arrived in 1979, followed by James two years later. Anthony, the youngest, was born on December the 18th, 1984. When he was born, he was a delightful baby. And as a child growing up, he was really easygoing, friendly, and he got on well with his brother and sister. We're very, very different, even from a very young age. So Kathy is incredibly academic. And I, I don't know if I'm typical of a middle child, but I was definitely the nightmare. Loved being outdoors and just playing and short attention span and hyperactive. And I guess to some degree, my brother's kind of a happy medium of both of us. He tended to gravitate towards more creative outlets. That's James, who remembers his younger brother as a true individual and someone that people just gravitated towards. He was just always himself. He naturally was quite good at just being popular and confident. He was very self-assured, but he'd also like, if you knew he was in the right, he'd tell you he was in the right. And it didn't matter whether you were a 40-year-old teacher or or his 10-year-old classmate. That didn't bother him. Anthony was a precocious reader and started showing signs of literary flair from an early age. He read Ulysses at the age of 12. He was always reading and writing. Very creative, loves books, will just devour books, always at the library, quite often in his own world thinking about stories that he was going to write. And when he entered his teenage years, a passion for music emerged. He would borrow my Springsteen LPs and play them and then took his own way, as Anthony always does, and got interested in people like Nick Cave, Shane McGowan, I think obviously heavily indoctrinated by an Irish grandmother. As he got older, he learned to play the guitar, and he's got a great voice, so he's a singer. And then when he was about 14, he got a band together with all his friends. Robert and Julie were very proud of their son's creative endeavours and were happy to support him in whatever way they could. It was the normal teenage band things, I suppose, that will be familiar to families up and down the country. Actors, roadies sometimes take him here, there and everywhere. You'd get the odd phone call in the early hours, can you pick me up, (laughs) things like that. And and you'd say, yeah, okay." you know, you wouldn't worry about it because you knew they were doing something they liked. And it's only a pleasure sometimes, you know, just to, to turn up, hear them and support them. Anthony had a strong sense of his own values. Equality and fairness were important to him. He would take a keen interest in uh, people's voices being heard. He's very, very interested in social justice. The band did a couple of fundraisers for Amnesty International locally. So, yeah, he, he was always one for the underdog. Anthony went on to study creative writing and media at Kingston University, where he found it difficult to square his artistic process with the rigours of academia. I think he found it hard going because 
he had his own ideas, I, I think, in creativity. And so I think whilst I think the university met friends and, and other expanded his thoughts, I think he struggled with the structure, I think, of university because I think a creative person had his own <laughs> creative talents, if you like, and I, I think sometimes he felt, you know, it wasn't quite for him. I think he was born at the wrong time, to be honest. If he was born sort of and, and was in maybe San Francisco or California in the in the 60s, that would have been his thing, you know, playing, writing, playing with all the musicians. He's very much a free spirit, Anthony. So I think possibly university wasn't the right place for him. But at the time, you know, you think you're doing the right thing because there's a lot of pressure for youngsters these days to have a degree for even modest jobs. So we, we said, well, bear with it and get your degree. Now living in Bristol, James remembers Anthony coming to visit him after university and sensing that his brother was at something of a crossroads. He was in this um, kind of transitional phase where he didn't know what he wanted to do, but conversely, he didn't know where he wanted to be either. And like... Back then, especially, Bristol was such a creative city that I said, oh, I can potentially find you somewhere to stay and if you want to move here. And I think he was just very undecided. And he was very, very independent. He almost didn't like decisions being made for him. So when I was like, well, I can find somewhere to stay in Bristol, he was kind of like, well, yeah, that's cool, but I'll find it myself. Anthony returned to the family home, where he doubled down on his music, reuniting with his bandmates from secondary school, Charlie, and Harry. Every fortnight they would find somewhere to have a band practice. And then Anthony was trying to go for auditions for himself as a, an individual musician, singer, songwriter. The band kept gigging in Colchester and even recorded an album. Later, Anthony went on to record a solo project. Though alongside the pursuit of musical stardom, Anthony continued to look for more conventional work. You know, he'd take anything to um, support himself, really. If it was not bar work, it was cleaning jobs. We didn't take any money off him when he was at home because he was trying so hard to, to break into the music. And he was, you know, willing to take jobs, whatever they were. So it wasn't like he was forced into any kind of other career. At one point, Anthony found a job as a carer. He was supporting a young man with learning difficulties, so he, he looked after him, you know, on a, a rotor basis with other carers um, in his own flat. So that was the job he had for about 18 months on and off. Anthony worked hard to make things happen, both on the music and career front, but his parents could see that his lack of meaningful progress with either was starting to affect him. It wasn't the greatest time, and... and to get to an interview with something, let alone a job. Um, and especially for someone that has that more creative side to them, you know, you need a bit of luck, you need something to go your way. And I think it was hard, us seeing him not necessarily getting the breaks. Um, you know, music and writing is riddled with stories of people bumping into somebody and getting a lucky break. And that hadn't happened for Anthony. And actually at the job centre, they, they were surprised at how many he had applied for because not one of the guys he used to see was said, 
well, we don't see that many people apply for this many jobs, you know, and that kind of wears you down, doesn't it, when you keep getting rejections. Anthony put a brave face on things, but he was struggling. I mean, the body language, you could tell sometimes he would be disappointed and low that he wasn't getting somewhere. There was a distinct um, little bit of a change. I mean, obviously, we didn't foresee what was coming, but you could tell he was getting a bit frustrated by it all. As hard a time as he may have been having, Anthony never gave up the ghost. He was writing right up to, we can remember, before he, he, he went missing. He was always writing, scribbling notes. You know, if he went out somewhere, he'd often come back with a, a scrap of paper where he'd written a few things that had gone through his head and he'd go up to his room and strum his guitar and make a few notes or write a few things down. Yes, I mean, his creativeness never, never seemed to leave him. Around this time, Anthony's grandfather, Arthur, was diagnosed with cancer. The two had always been close and there were few things Anthony enjoyed more than hearing Arthur wax lyrical about the past. He was always interested in hearing other people's stories and, and my dad's generation and my in-laws generation, they had a lot to talk about. They, I mean, my dad grew up in the 20s, went to a children's home, was obviously in the Second World War, then started his life after the Second World War as a married man. So they had a lot of stories and, and Anthony loved to hear about his stories of growing up in East London, uh, you know, during the war, before he got called up. And, and everything else that went with it. And similarly with my father-in-law, Julie's dad, he had a similar sort of background growing up in Birkenhead and then fighting in the Second World War. Had so many stories and, and not glorification stories either, just basic human stories of how they survived this, how they survived that. Arthur was in and out of hospital, often accompanied by Anthony who took an active role in his grandfather's care. We, we knew it was coming to an end and we, we sat there with him in the early hours of um, a morning. Um, he took his last breath and Anthony said, could I stay to the end? I said, yes, of course you can. And, you know, he was with me when my dad passed away. The death of his grandfather had a profound impact on Anthony. He kind of started to withdraw a little bit from most people. Just started to withdraw. He didn't interact a lot the way he had been. So we just thought it was, you know, it had hit him hard, this loss. I think it would be remiss to say that he was upset that my granddad died and that was the cause of his disappearance. I think it was there was a lot of compounding factors and I think he hadn't been particularly happy for a long time. On the 27th of May 2012, the day before Arthur's funeral, whilst Robert and Julie were making final preparations for the service, Anthony told them he needed to head out for some fresh air. It was a sunny morning and this must have been about half past ten in the morning, I think, if I remember rightly. And... I don't know why, I just checked him from head to toe, what he was wearing, he had a cap on. And he's, you know, I said, you know, you are going to be back later. He said, well, I might stay out with a friend overnight. But I said, you will be back for the funeral by about 10 o'clock. I think the, the funeral was about 11, 11.30. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll be back. 
and off he went and I said well have a you know good day and you know take care of yourself and that was it gave him a hug and that was the last time I saw him When Anthony's sister Kathy arrived home later that day, Julie texted him to ask if he'd like to meet the whole family for lunch. He said no, no, maybe later, but he didn't want to join us. Um, he did actually send a message to me saying, oh, would it be all right if I could get his trousers, black trousers ready for the morning, for the funeral? And then having said that he may stay out overnight, presumed he didn't come back that night and presumed he was staying with a friend, as he, he'd said. 10am the next morning came and went with no sign of Anthony. As the funeral drew closer, the family became increasingly worried. We tried to contact him, but we couldn't. But then you're committed to a funeral. And obviously, another thought that went through our minds was that he may turn up, go direct to the church, because he knew where the funeral was taking place at the crematorium's church and so we thought okay perhaps he's decided to meet us there but anthony never did turn up at the church after the service julie and james left the wake early and rushed home to call the police grief quickly giving way to feelings of rising panic the guy that took my call was very concerned when i told him you know the circumstances and he took it very seriously yeah, I, I spoke to him and then James, my son, I got very upset. So James, my son, took over and spoke to the police as well. Julie also phoned a few of Anthony's close friends, but none of them had seen or heard from him. The police came round later that day after the funeral, took lots of details from us. Then the following day, they said they would start searching. It was all such a blur. You know, you've never been in this situation before. You don't know which way to turn. But our police, thankfully, Colchester and Essex police were absolutely brilliant with us. Um, they reassured us. They, get, they told us everything they were going to do, what searches they were going to do. And they came, they came round, I think, nearly every day that week. Certainly the first 24 hours, there was... Concern for the first 24 hours. And then once 48 hours went by, then that's when I would say panic and real worry set in. The search began with the family home. They searched the garden's shed. They went up in the loft in the house just to make sure he wasn't, you know, things weren't up there. Before quickly expanding to the surrounding area. There was, you know, places Anthony would go when he would do in his writing. He would sit and meditate and we have quite um, easy access to countryside and woods around here in this part of Colchester, so that would be a needle in a haystack um, looking for something like that. I think if I remember rightly, they had like the sniffer dogs going across the fields because Rob and I went out one afternoon and we were searching over one of the fields and we actually came almost face to face with the team so we made our exit you know rob was saying you you, you can't look at this i was so upset by it all you know so he just took me home anthony didn't drive so if he'd left colchester there was a good chance he'd made use of public transport they did check cctv at the railway station and at the bus station but nothing showed up there but i mean 
there's so many ways you can get out of town without being on CCTV. I mean, we're going back 10 years. I mean, you could just get, you know, hitch a lift even, you know, just a little way down the road. On, I, I don't know. I mean, the police resources we uh, fully understand are limited. The family's hopes were raised when they were asked to examine some footage obtained from the local bus station. You know, your heart's in your mouth and you think, is that a lead? But you, you want it to be Anthony when you look at these things, but um, at the same time, you've got to be honest and say, no, that's not Anthony. So if public transport couldn't provide any clues, could the answers lie with his bank account? A check of Anthony's bank accounts showed a withdrawal shortly after he left the house on the 27th. We got a petrol station with a cash machine a couple of minutes walk away and that was the last known of his movements. He drew out cash and, and that was it really. So we knew he had some cash with him when he left. Knowing he had his phone on him when he was last seen, police also attempted to triangulate the signal and determine a location. They found that it, his phone was somewhere within a two to three mile radius of the, our house. So they were searching those areas, but the phone was never found. I think modern technology, they could probably have found it a lot closer. Nowadays, they could probably get it down to a few hundred yards. So they had a new, last known location, albeit one frustratingly close to the family home, that didn't offer up much information to suggest where he may have gone next, or indeed how. Any kind of news like that, Everything's just so the the emotions become off the chart because you there's a belief that there's new information, there's news, we might find him. There's things that have happened two or three times over the last sort of nine years where you've gone, wow, there's definite possibility that this is going to lead to something. And then of course you have a massive crash when it doesn't. The family had to quickly learn to manage the roller coaster of hope and heartbreak with every new lead. It was quite intense for a couple of weeks. I think one of the worst ones was they found a noise coming from um, a park called Highwoods and it's got a large lake in it and they sent divers down (laughs) in the lake but it turned out to be an old tyre which um, was um, quite a traumatic afternoon until we got the results of that one. But it shows you how seriously they took our case which you know it's it's nice that they did take our case that seriously along with dog teams and divers a helicopter was also deployed to scour the fields and woods of colchester from the air but despite weeks of searching no trace of anthony was found and with very little to go on the police's involvement was inevitably wound down anthony's family on the other hand were just getting started Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
our daughter and her partner they made some posters up you know on the on our pc they they just made some up with some photos of anthony and then um we were lucky as well that the police um on the second day told us about missing people um charity so we got in touch with missing people and from that moment on they've been supporting us and they got posters made as well for us and, and got a campaign going there. I would go around different areas of Colchester in the car um, late at night, places like kebab places and, and stop and talk to people and hand in posters and it's you know you did all that hoping that he was still in the area but I suppose logic would say he He'd probably moved out of the area by then, but um, but you, you you have to do it, and you think perhaps late at night he'd come out when it's dark and and do things. So yeah, that was a couple of months of that going out regularly at night, touring different areas. Because Anthony had taken money out of his bank account, Robert and Julie believe that he must have had a plan of some kind, some purposeful intention, which made his vanishing into thin air less likely. And with hindsight. Julie is sceptical about Anthony's final text about the trousers. I now think that was probably a bit of a red herring to sort of throw us off the track. I don't think he actually intended now, you know, on reflection to, to come to the funeral. The family felt deep down that Anthony would come home sooner or later and that by keeping everything as it was when he left, they would increase the likelihood of that happening. They made no alterations to the outside of the house, kept the same car long after they needed to trade it in, and Julie even maintained the same hairstyle. To other people it might sound very, very strange, but yes, I would keep the hairstyle the same just in case he didn't recognise me if I grew it long or <laughs> changed it or whatever. It sounds madness to other people, but to me it made sense. And yes, I would. when I used to come in the door, I'd say, hi, Anthony, you know, it's me, just in case... He'd come back and was in the house. And, yeah, it it's kind of, I suppose, a comfort in a way. Somehow it's bringing some kind of normality when there is no normality there. The Stammers didn't go on holiday for years for fear Anthony would return in their absence and they'd miss their chance to reconnect. And then when we finally decided... We needed a break and we, we had a holiday. We got um, CCTV put in so that we could check everybody coming and going from our house in case he came back. And, of course, you could get an app on your phone so that you could check it, all that. And we had a, a ring doorbell okay. installed. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of records everybody coming up to the front door. So... These sort of things put your mind a little bit at rest and, and you feel that um, you can at least go out of the house. Um, when we come back, after we've been out, one of the first things we do is do a 1471 and see who the last caller was, just in case. And um, You know, you tend not to block any calls. I mean, you get lots of nuisance calls, but we, we feel that we have to put up with the nuisance calls in case, amongst all those, is somebody trying to contact us. Robert and Julie's efforts to find their son extended far beyond Colchester. If we were going away anywhere, we'd take some posters with us and we would never miss an opportunity 
to take it for granted that he could be anywhere. So we would take it that posters we were dropped in at um, local churches, uh, libraries, as he's an avid reader, libraries were very good. They would always take a poster even to put in their staff rooms so that, you know, if he came in, uh, soup runs, uh, street pastors we contacted early on, all sorts of things. We've done lots of searches around London, North, East, South London. I mean, it just becomes second nature. James understands his parents need to do everything they can to raise awareness, even after all this time, and the guilt that they feel when they're not actively working towards his return. There's a, an interesting dynamic that happens after a certain period of time because for me, not being a worrier, the rational side of my brain goes, of course I'm massively concerned about his welfare and if he's okay, but I'm still someone that believed for the longest time. If someone disappears, it's because they want to disappear and they don't want to be found. And, and when they're ready to integrate themselves back or when they're ready to, when they felt like they've dealt with whatever's going on in their head, they'll come back. The, the other rational side of that is if someone has killed themselves, and again, if I, my parents talk about it, they're probably not able to talk about it without being so objective, I guess. But if someone has killed themselves, it's very difficult for that person not to be found. New leads have been thin on the ground since the first few weeks of the investigation. I think there's there's been a few sightings, but they've never amounted to anything. And I think my parents are very stoic in the sense that they understand, or rational, that they understand that sightings don't really mean anything unless it's someone that knows him and definitively. And, Ten years on, Robert and Julie feel like they're in limbo. You feel like you're walking a dual life here. You know, you have to get on with your every... At some point, after all the searches, after all the police investigations are sort of calmed down and finished, you kind of have to get on with the life of some kind, especially if you are going to work and have to carry on. But then you're, wor- you're walking this other dual life as well of missing because it affects the whole of your life. Every part of your life is affected by it because there are no answers. For James, his brother's absence becomes particularly painful when the rest of the family come together. It changes everything just completely in the sense that, it, like, family gatherings, it, like, every Christmas it's the same. There's always tears because it's not a complete family. There's an underlying tone of there's something missing and there's something that's slightly upsetting when there's family occasions and that's bound to happen. And on the days when I feel I just can't go on with this anymore, um, it's just too painful. I just give myself a good talking to and say, right, come on, get yourself up. Today's the day you could find him whatever that means. Today is the day I could find him. So that's what keeps me going. A decade later, nothing would make the Stammers happier than to be reunited with Anthony. We'd just love to hear from you or somebody that knows where Anthony is to make contact to let us know he's alive and well. I mean, he's missed every single day. Um, there's, it, I mean, we all love him, whether he knows it or not, and that if anyone knows of anything, just 
let us know in some way, even if it's like an email or a phone call, that he's okay and or that you're okay, Anthony. That's all. Like, if you don't feel comfortable coming back, so to speak, then just 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 say let someone know that can let us know that you're okay. Or conversely, if anyone does know of his whereabouts, just let someone know. Let someone inform us pass that information on so we can know that he's okay we love you so much Anthony your brother and sister miss you and all your friends miss you terribly and there's no bad feeling from us whatever you're thinking we just want you to complete our family again in many cases it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Anthony, or you remember seeing someone like him on May the 27th, 2012, your information could be vital. We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.